You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. We're going to try to get through one whole chapter today. Uh, I know it's been, uh, it's been seven weeks getting through chapters 1 and 2. We're going to go warp speed through chapter, through chapter 3 today. Acts chapter 3, we've been in this series called His Word, His Power, His Church Sends Us on Our Mission. God's Word, by God's power, by the means of God's church, sends us on our mission. In our text this morning in Acts chapter 3, we begin to see the church moving out of what could have been a very comfortable Christian bubble, and we see the church beginning to spread, get outside of their normal, uh, their normal, well, there's nothing normal, this is all brand new, but what they have grown comfortable uh, two. I, this morning, uh, what I'd like to do is, is share just a couple of observations from this chapter uh, and then make a few application points uh, towards the end. Since it is the entire chapter, I won't read it and then come back and unpack it. We're just going to start with unpacking it at the very first. Is that all right with you? All right, well, let's dive in. Acts chapter 3, look at it with me. Let's, this incredible scene, Peter, uh, the one who just preached the sermon at Pentecost, Peter and John were going up to the temple, Acts chapter 3, verse 1. They were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Uh, Of the three daily prayers, the last one is the most attended. There was one somewhere around 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning. That was one daily prayer. There was one at noon and then again at 3 o'clock. The 3 o'clock prayer would have been the most attended prayer. Now think about God's plan, God's, God's providential plan to put Peter there to preach this powerful sermon when most people would be there. Most lost people would be there. God knows exactly what he's doing. God is always on time. This third prayer, you think, well, why is Peter and John still going up to the temple? Well, the temple, uh, Christians have not separated themselves from the temple at this point. But listen, they are not going there. Um, They're not going there to offer sacrifices, although the three o'clock prayer time was a sacrificial uh, time. They're going there to give praise and honor to God for sending Jesus as the Messiah. Completely different reason for what the other people are going to be there for. They're going to pray to God, asking Him to deliver them from the Roman rule, to send the Messiah. They have missed that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Look at verse 2. It says this, A man who was lame from birth was being carried. Literally, he has been carried daily there. Like Every single day, someone more than likely, someone in his family, uh, a parent or maybe a sibling, is carrying him to the temple and laying, there, laying him there. A man who is lame from birth is being carried daily there. He was placed each day at the temple gate. This is a prime location For someone who is begging for money, this is a prime location. There was three locations where you would find uh, people like this, people who were lame, people who were were blind, um, people who had leprosy. Uh, that that has no source of income. They're they're, they're, 
They're begging for money. They're begging for food. There's three places that you would find them. You would find them at a rich man's house, standing or sitting right outside the gate of a rich man's house. You would find them along the highway, a populated uh, road. Now, not like, um, not like a highway we think about driving 75 miles an hour in a chariot, uh, going a couple of miles an hour, stopping often uh, to eat and to rest. So they'd find themselves on a, on a busy highway. But the prime location would, would be at the temple. Uh, you can imagine why, as people are going in to offer their prayer, offer their sacrifice, uh, they want to be seen as godly. They want to be seen as righteous. And if there's someone in need, they want to be able to give to them, thinking that God will see this transaction and pour out blessings on them. So this man, lame from birth, is being carried there. He's placed daily at the temple gate called Beautiful, so he could beg from those entering the temple. I can't help but to point out the contrast. I want you to miss the contrast that we see right here in the very first of this text. Peter and John. It's leaving the crowd. Remember, there's 3,000 new believers we looked at last week. They're leaving the crowd. They are Jesus' best friends. They're always in the inner circle of, uh, with, with Jesus. When Jesus would pull away, he'd always bring Peter and John. So, so here you have two very popular guys, two very well-known, especially after the sermon at Pentecost. They are well-known in Jerusalem as Christians. God fears is the way they would be titled. So in our text already, we have Peter and John. We also have this man who is born severely crippled. Here's this guy. He has two legs that are constant reminders of his hopelessness. Two limp legs that, that, that just seem to be in the way. He can't do anything with them. They're constant reminders of his hopelessness. So here you have Peter and John, very well known, uh, best friends with the Messiah. And here you have this social outcast. Smelly. Dirty. Somebody that, that you really wouldn't even want to make eye contact with. You don't even want to look at them. You just walk on past. A nuisance to society, maybe. Notice that contrast. We don't see them yet. We'll be introduced to them in verse 9. But you also have the Jews in the temple. They're religiously devout, but spiritually dead. They're going to the temple for a completely different reason than what Peter and John are going to the temple for. Religiously devout, but spiritually dead. They're legalistic and they're lost. So, you see, here you have this... This contrast between Peter and John and this, this man born lame from birth, and then you have these religious elite, if you will, maybe not elite, but religiously devout, but dead. How easy it would have been for Peter and John to stay in their Christian bubble, right? Peter just preached this incredible sermon. 3,000 people came to faith in Christ. There was already 120. How easy it would have been for, I mean, this is a nice crowd. This is a nice group of people that we can hang out with right here. It would have been so easy for them just to, just to stay in the comfort of their surroundings with those 3,000 and 120, 3,100, 3,120 Christians. It would have been so easy for them to stay there and not venture out anywhere. Remember, this is the third prayer of the day. No doubt that Peter and John saw this guy at the, first, at the morning prayer. 
No doubt that they saw him at the noon prayer. But yet God pushes them out. Sends them out. And they willingly go. And praise God they go. You and I stand on the shoulders of their going. I, I'm, I'm so thankful that they went. I'm so thankful as we, as we semi-celebrate the history of our church. We just kind of take a, a pause using this, this time frame of falling back, just kind of looking back at the, at the history of our church. I'm so glad that this church in 1953 said, we need a church in Farwell, Texas to reach the people in this area. I'm so, I'm so thankful for that, aren't you? I'm so thankful that, that they have consistently, for 66 years now, consistently preached the gospel. And in good times and in bad times, they've stayed focused on the mission. I'm so thankful for that. I'm, I'm thankful for my family who, who raised me in church, who taught me the gospel. I'm so thankful for my, for my grandmother who, who every single night when I would spend the night with her would open up her old King James Bible and would, would read Scripture to me. And I've said this before, but, but I, I, cannot, I, I cannot tell you one Scripture that she ever read to me. But I can tell you every single time I went there, she would take the time before bedtime to, to gather up if it was me and my brothers. Two very unruly boys and one angel. And she would gather. She, I'm glad you agree. She would gather us up at the end of her bed and she would read us the Bible. I'm so thankful that she didn't go, I've been exhausted from chasing these three boys. Uh, I, they're not going to remember what I read. Yet she took the time. It would have been easy for Peter to stay in the group. But he left. Look at, look at what happened. Verse 3. Verse 3 says this, When he, when he the lame man, when the, when the lame man saw Peter and John for money, Peter along with John looked straight at him and said, Look at us. They do what often many times we aren't willing to do. They look at this outcast of the society. They look at this guy who is smelly, who is, who, who's probably very dirty, who has, who, who, it might even be uncomfortable to look at him because his legs are so, so disformed and disfigured. Yet they see him. And, and they, they say, look at us. So he turned to them. You can imagine. I mean, can you, can you just see this happening? Like, like the people have been walking by, like hundreds, maybe thousands of people have been walking by. He find, and he's saying this, alms, alms for the poor, money. Do you have even a, a, a few coins? Just anything that you can give me would, just, would be fine. Something He has been saying this over and over, thousands of times a day as people would walk by. And finally, someone slows down enough and says, look at us. Can you imagine what he is expecting? Oh, but he is about to get something much greater than what he is expecting. He's expecting some change in the cup. But he is about to have a life-changing experience, an eternal-changing experience. Look what happens. Look at us, Peter and John say. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter says, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. Underline this. 
Underscore this in your Bible. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. Not just in the name of Jesus, which was a very popular name in that day. There's many, hundreds, thousands of Jesuses. But not Jesus the Christ. And not just Jesus the Christ, but Jesus the Christ from that little old town where nothing good happens from. Nazareth. That little old farming community up there in Galilee. This Jesus, in His name, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Can you imagine what's going on in His mind? How insensitive. You can see my legs are deformed. They, my, I, my le- there's no muscles. The muscles that I did have of atrophy, there's no, there's no ligaments. My, one, one commentator said that, that it was as if he didn't even have feet. They were so useless. There was just, just nubs. He's, can you imagine how insensitive? Get up and walk. And Peter does something that is very Peter-esque, right? Peter says, get up and walk to a guy who has been lame from birth. And then he grabs him by the hand, taking him by the right hand. He raised him up. And I love this. This means literally, this, the miracle happened instantaneously. It was immediate. It was full. It says this, and at once his feet and his ankles became strong. <laughs> Verse 8. Verse 8 reminds me that we should never judge anyone's praise. So he jumped up and he started to walk. And he entered the temple with them, being Peter and John, walking, leaping, and praising God. Do you know that that was not common in the temple? For anyone to be jumping and leaping. That wasn't common. Can you imagine the attention that it, that it drew? That here's this man who used to be lame. Who used to not be able to walk. Now he has been healed instantly. Fully. 100%. He has been, he has been healed. And now he is jumping. He is leaping in the temple. He's, he is shouting praises to God. All the people, this is the Jews that were in the temple. All the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized. They recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. We've we've seen that guy. We've tried not to see him, but we come here three times a day. We've been doing it all of our life. We've tried not to take notice of him, but we, we know him. We've, we, hear, we recognize that voice. Normally that voice has been money, alms, alms for the poor, just a coin. Can you give me a coin? But now it's shouting praise to God. It's shouting praise to this man named Jesus, the Christ of Nazareth. We recognize that voice. He looks familiar, but something very different is going on. He is, he's, those crippled old legs now full of muscle, full of tendons, bones are back together. 
All the people saw him walking and praising. Verse 10, it says this, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe. This is, the, the, the Greek word is thothmazo. It's, it's, their, their, it's like their mind is blown. It's, it's, uh, they're, they're astonished. They are amazed. They're, they're, they're filled with this. It's, it's almost like they're in a trance. They're seeing this guy that it just, everything's not, everything's not commute, com, computing here. They were filled with awe and astonished at what had happened to him. That man, we don't have his name. He was glad that Peter and John didn't stay in the comfort of their little Christian community. That they were willing to go out. They were willing to go back to the same place where their Savior had just been crucified some months ago. Knowing that it was dangerous. But yet they go. In this man's life, eternity has forever been changed. Now look at the response. Look at verse 11. While this lame, or this formerly lame man, while he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them, Peter and John, and in what is called Solomon's colonnade. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people. Now, put yourself in their shoes, in the Jews' shoes. Put yourself in their shoes. What they have seen, what they have experienced, what they have heard, and they're coming to Peter and John because they see it happen through the voice of Peter and John. And listen to what Peter asked them. Fellow Israelites... Why are you, why is your mind blown at this? Why are you astounded at this? To which I want to say to Peter, he's been crippled all of his life. Why are you not astounded at this? That, doesn't that seem like a crazy question to you? Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why are you why are you astounded at this? Why do you stare at us? Here's the point that he's getting to. Why are you staring at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? You see, Peter knows why they're staring at him. Because they believe that the power came from Peter and John. And Peter and John, think of how easily it would have been for them to have a following. Think of how easy it would have been for them to take a selfie with this guy that used to be crippled, send it out on social media. Can you imagine all the likes they would have got? Look at, look at this guy that we met going into church. Look at who, this is, you remember, you've, you've heard him cry out for money. You've seen him as you've gone there. But look at, look at the change now. This, we know this guy. He knows us. We're tight. Think of the following that they could have had with that. But Peter and John, Peter especially, does something that is not Peter-esque. Pre, 
crucifixion. Peter would normally have turned the flashlight on himself, but Peter turns immediately the light on Jesus. Look at what he says. Last part of verse 12. Why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? Listen, Peter recognizes that the power of religion caused them to be wowed at the healing, but totally overlooked the one who was healed. The, 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 the spirit of religion caused them, they're, they're wild, they're amazed at the healing, but they're overlooking the one who was healed. Listen, here's Peter, why didn't Peter talk about the healing event? We need to ask some questions of this scripture. Why didn't Peter talk about this man? We, we never hear the, this man's name. Peter doesn't give us his name. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, doesn't give us his name. Beyond our text this morning, specifically right where we're at in, in chapter 3, Peter never mentions the healing beyond what we have in our, in, in our text. It's, it's not ever brought up again. We, we need to ask ourselves, why is that? Why doesn't Peter spend two or three chapters talking about <clears throat> this man's healing? Why does he spend time talking about how, how that moment when he reached out his hand and he grabbed him, he saw the muscles begin to form. He saw the ligaments begin to grow. He heard the bones begin to snap back into place. He, he doesn't do that. And, and sometimes in Scripture, we need to learn that when it's silent, it's, it is screaming something to us. This man's mess is not the message. I know that we have been told sometimes that our mess is our, is our message. I'm afraid too often that our mess is not only our message, our mess becomes the story and we grow comfortable in our mess. A lot of books being written right now about how we can just, how this, we're just a mess and we need to get comfortable with that. No, listen, our mess is not the message. Our mess leads us to be able to cleanse us. God cleans us of our mess, and we're able to proclaim the gospel out of our mess. And that's exactly what Peter is about to do. Peter takes this man's mess, he takes this man's healing, and he doesn't go on a speaking tour of how this guy was healed. He goes on a speaking tour to say, let me introduce you to the one who healed this man. Peter gives us a great example of turning the focus off of us and shining the light on the gospel. Listen, God's healing of my mess allows me to proclaim the gospel, not wallow in my mess, leading me to assume on the grace of God. Let me say that again. God's healing of my mess allows me to proclaim the gospel, not wallow in my mess, assuming on His grace. The gospel is the message. 
Look at verse 13. This is where Peter gets. You, you would think, I mean, I'm just, I just want to point this out to you, the absence of speaking of this man's healing. Here's, he, they, they, God heals this man. People are amazed at that. They come to Peter and John, and John immediately turns them to Jesus. Look at what he does. Verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified His servant Jesus. Watch this. Whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he, Pilate, had decided to release him. You denied the holy and the righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Again, notice all the contrasts here in the text. Don't, don't miss what the good doctor, Dr. Luke, is doing here in the text. Peter says to them, God glorified His servant Jesus. Contrast, you handed Him over. Not only did you hand him over, you denied before Pilate, although Pilate was going to release him. God glorified him. You denied him. You denied the holy and the righteous one, and you asked to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life. Notice the contrast. You you killed the source of life, but first you asked to have a murderer. You asked to have a murderer released to you while you killed the source of life. Do you see the the backwardness of, of thinking here? God glorified him. You denied him. You asked for a murderer to be released and you killed the source of life. Peter's pointing out to them what many in our culture don't want to hear. And that is the conviction of our sin. No one wants to hear about our sin. It would have been easier for Peter just to talk about the healing and never mention their sin. 2,000 people that day. Chapter 4, verse 4 tells us this. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. There was already 3,000. Now there's 5,000. That means 2,000 people came to faith that day because Peter was willing to do what men in our culture aren't willing to do, and that's to talk about our sin. Peter recognizes that this man's healing, this man's mass is not the message. The gospel is the message. Now look what he does. Verse 17. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance. Oh, here's Peter's about to show grace to them. I know that you acted in ignorance just as your leaders also did. You didn't understand that this is what you were doing. You were acting in ignorance. You, what you thought was right wasn't right. You, were, you, you were completely had everything turned upside down. But this is how your leaders led you. In the same way, God fulfilled what He predestined through all the prophets that this Messiah, or that His Messiah would suffer. Therefore, look at what He does. Therefore, repent and turn back. Here's what Peter is saying. Yes, you acted in ignorance, but listen, ignorance is not an excuse. 
for your sin. Just because you didn't know it was sin, now that you know, I'm, I'm informing you this is sin. Listen, when you get to heaven, you will not be able to give an excuse to God when He, when he asks you why you, should, why you should enter into heaven. You will not be able to give the excuse, well, I just didn't know. You did know. Now you know. And now He is calling them to repentance. Your ignorance is not an excuse. You can't use that. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. In other words, this, is, this has been your way of thinking. Turn 180 degrees the other direction and begin to trust and believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. You have seen what Jesus can do. You have heard the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah saying that, saying that the, the, the coming of the Messiah will, will be overshadowed, or will not be overshadowed, but will be foretold by the miracles. So that... Repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. It gives us another purpose. So that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Listen, as a child of God, there are seasons of refreshing. There are times where we are refreshed just simply by the presence of God. And other purpose, and that He may send Jesus who has been appointed for you as Messiah. Listen, Jesus is coming back. He is coming for His children to take us home. Here's a couple of applications I want you to see. This crippled man, formerly crippled man, is a vivid illustration of lost people that we come in contact with. He is a vivid illustration of lost people we come in contact with. I'm going to show you that here in just a second. But also, not only is he a vivid illustration of people we come in contact, but Peter and John are great examples that we should follow. First, I want you to see what Peter and John does. Peter and John is willing to go outside of their comfort zone to reach lost people. Peter and John are willing to do what many of us aren't willing to do, and that is to see people who are hurting. They see him. Man, listen, I'm telling you, a prayer that you can pray that God will answer is, God, open up my eyes to people who are hurting around me. Oh, God will open up your eyes to them. He will reveal to you people who have a smile on the outside, who have laughter on the outside, but yet there is hurt deep down inside. The third thing that they were willing to do that is even a next step further is that they were willing to touch Him. They were willing to get close enough to him, not just see him and walk on pie, but they were willing to get close enough to touch him and to walk with him. Peter and John are great examples that we should follow, but this crippled man is a vivid illustration of lost people that we come in contact with. This crippled man was, he was born lame. Scripture tells us that all are born sinners. Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. God is holy. He is righteous. He is just. My sin and, and your sin and God's holiness cannot coexist. We are born sinners. God is holy. He is righteous. He is just. And that sin and God cannot coexist. 
So we have Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, The wages, the, 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 the cost of our sin, singular, one sin, is death. Oh, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This man was born blind. All of us are born sinners in need of a Savior. It's not a person that's ever been born that wasn't in need of a Savior. No one is good enough. No one is righteous enough on their own. They are in need of a Savior. This man couldn't walk. What is the parallel to us? No unrepentant sinner can walk. Live out our life so as to please God. No one. There's no one who is good enough who can live out their life as to please a holy and a righteous God. And there are people around us, if, you, if we would sit down and have a cup of coffee, have a conversation with someone and ask them, why, when you die, will you get to spend eternity with God in heaven? Here's what you will hear by many people, is that I, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm, I'm trying to live my life the very best that I can. And I just know that God is a loving God and God would not send me to hell because I'm doing the very best that I can. Let me tell you something, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Listen, most people, and you've probably tried to experience this, most people can't, or you've tried this today, most people can't even change the clocks on their oven and microwave in their car. But yet they're trusting their own, they're trusting their salvation to themselves as if we could do that. This man was lame from birth. We're all born sinners. This man can't walk. We can't walk in a way without Christ that pleases God. It is impossible. He was outside the temple. Listen, unrepentant sinners are outside of God's temple in the family of faith. No matter how many Christian t-shirts they wear, no matter how often they come to church, no matter what they do of Christian duty, unrepentant sinners, people who have never given their life to Jesus Christ, people who have never surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, are outside the family. God is not their father. This man was outside the temple. He couldn't walk. He was born lame. And the fourth is this. He was begging. This is hard for us to see, but it's so true. Unrepentant sinners are beggars searching for satisfaction and worldly success and temporary fame. Our wallets and our calendars tell us this is true. People are begging for acceptance. People are begging for love. They're begging for status. And our wallets and our calendars tell us that is true. Listen, what someone thinks of you is not the chief end of man. We take it a little bit further. What someone thinks of your children is not the chief end of, of parenthood. This man was begging. Often a sign of an unbeliever is someone who is begging in our cultural ways, seeking significance in the things that they can amass, seeking significance in titles, seeking significance in trophies. They're begging for something that will only get them to the next meal. 
They need modern day Peter and John to go to them and say to them, I don't have much, but what I do have, I can give you. Listen, we should never allow what we don't have keeping it keep us from giving them what we do have. We should never allow what we don't have to keep us from giving them what we do have. They need a Peter, need a John. This is what we're commanded to do. This is what we, brothers and sisters of Christ, we are commanded. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit come on you. When did that happen? The moment you accepted Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit filled your soul and you have received power. And look at what he says. You will be, there is a command, there is an expectation. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses in your home. You will be my witnesses in your community. You will be my witnesses in your, in your area, in your state, in your country, around the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 through 20 points this out so clearly. In Christ, God was reconciling, making the world right with God. He's reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has, what's this? He has committed, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. He has committed the message. We have been given a message. He has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal to us, watch this. We plead. We plead. How, how long has it been since you have pleaded? For a lost person. How long has it been since you have been burdened over the lostness of people in our community? This is what we're called to do. We've been called to be Peter and John. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Will you get it right every time? No. Let me just... Let me just set that out there. Will you, will you get it right every time that you share the gospel with somebody? No. Will every person come to faith that you share the gospel with? No. Is God in control? Absolutely. Will you face differing levels of persecution? Yes. Will people laugh at you? Will they get angry at you? Will they misunderstand you? Yes. Yes. And yes, but take heart. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16. This is a text that I've been living in for about the last month. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16. What, look at what he says. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. Will you face persecution? Yes. Will you get it right every time? No. Will people come to faith every time you share the gospel with them when you have a, that conversation? Hey, how, what, do you, what, what is the reason that you will get to spend eternity with God in heaven and, and they give you a false hope and you, and you try to give them hope? Will they accept that? Not every single time. Will they misunderstand you? Will they say that you're judgmental? Absolutely. Yes. But don't lose hope. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in having that name. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful example in Scripture that God has given us. To be a Peter in a John. 
for someone, for someone that, that God has put us in front of. It, you know, God is using you as a Christian, brothers and sisters. There are opportunities after opportunities after opportunities for us to be used by God, and He longs, He desires to use us. Will you allow Him to do it? Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.